Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash Sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In book one of On the Ends, Cicero has Torquatus as the representative of the Epicurean position in ethics defend the Epicureans against both what other philosophers, particularly the Stoics, but also what you might say ordinary people unaffected by philosophy might make of the Epicurean position. And indeed, when we hear this word Epicurean today, we often picture to ourselves somebody who is particularly obsessed with food and drink and enjoying those to the greatest extent. Somebody who's, you know, a wine snob or a foodie and just eating, 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 drinking, drinking, drinking. And there was, in fact, this popular perception of the Epicureans going all the way back to the time of Epicurus. Of course, if you know some Epicureans in the genuine philosophical sense, you realize that this is a caricature and it's rather unrepresentative of them them to think that they particularly indulge in all of these bodily pleasures, wallowing around like pigs in the mud, just, you know, enjoying the proverbial wine women song or whatever else you want to bring in. So why do people have this perception of the Epicureans? Why do they say it's a life rather unworthy of the human being? Epicurus himself had an answer to this, and Torquatus is going to give us a rather short version of this, and it has to do with a distinction between two fundamentally different kinds of pleasures. So when we think about pleasant things, drinking coffee, for example, enjoying the taste of the coffee, and in my case, adding a little bit of milk to provide some fat and some sugars to it as well, that would be an example of a moving or kinetic pleasure, as Epicurus called it. And Cicero will use these terms later on in book two to describe this. Torquatus is not himself using it. But these sorts of pleasures, they satisfy some sort of desire that we have. And we come to have more and more desires the more that we have these pleasures. And they give some sort of enjoyment to the senses. And it's a little bit difficult to describe this in ways that are very analytic, but it's, you know, a decent way of talking about it. He says, the pleasure we pursue is not that kind alone, which directly affects our physical being, our natura in the Latin, with a delightful feeling. The term here is suavitate, right? And then he talks about it as providing some sort of enjoyment or delightful feeling for the, the senses. And that is jucunditate in, in this. So... It's something that you can relate to. You know, think about all the physical pleasures that you enjoy and what it is that it's like to experience them. That's one kind of pleasure. But, and here's a key insight of Epicurus, some of the pleasures that we feel, they're not so much about having somebody stroking our skin or drinking some wine or something along those lines. It's rather the absence, the removal the prevention of something bad. 
So it's not just that there's a positive side, positive pleasure and a negative side, pain. The negative of a negative in this case is also a positive, but it's a positive of a different sort than the other kind of positive. So these are what the Epicureans called static pleasures. And these uh, you might think of as pleasures of rest, pleasures of freedom, pleasures of removal of pain, or to use two other terms that come up of fear because Epicurus and Torquatus following him said that every fear ultimately stems from some sort of pain. And if you think about what it's like to feel fear or anxiety, it's not painful in the same way that poking yourself in the eye is, but it is a troubling feeling. Likewise, distress or sorrow, agritudo in the, the Latin, that also stems from pain or could be included within it, if you like. And we might think of all sorts of other feelings that are also painful. Anger isn't mentioned here, but it would be a prime example or desire for that which you cannot enjoy, a kind of despair of ever attaining what it is that you truly want, like being in love and knowing that you will never enjoy the affection of the one you're in love with. That would be something as well. And if you can remove these things, whether they're fears about the gods or fears about what's going to happen to you down the line when you die or before you die or what's going to happen to your property after you die or whether it's sadnesses, whatever sort of affective state it is, the removal of that, Cicero tells us, the Epicureans thought, is in fact a great pleasure. And the Epicureans thought that that was an even greater pleasure. He says, when we are released from pain, the mere sensation of complete emancipation and relief from this uneasiness is itself a source of gratification. But everything that causes gratification is a pleasure. Here we have a different mode of pleasure than the other types of pleasure that are in some respect a little bit more direct. And notice that these static pleasures could also be longer lasting than other pleasures. If you drink your coffee, you can only drink so much coffee or beer or whatever else it is. You can only stuff your face full of so much food. Aristotle actually talks about a, a glutton who wished that his neck was as long as a stork so he could feel that physical sensation of filling oneself up, going down the throat. E even if you had a, a long neck, you can only eat so much. But these static pleasures, we can enjoy them for a very long time. Feeling a sense of security. Security is a lack of fear, a lack of a certain sort of pain. These, the Epicureans held, were much better. So he uses example, you know, the complete removal of pain, hunger and thirst when you banish them by food and drink. The mere fact of getting rid of uneasiness brings a resultant pleasure in its train. There's the pleasure of eating, which is a moving pleasure. And then there's the pleasure of not being bothered by thirst or hunger. Or we could think of so many other physical sensations as well. Being able to rest and recline and perhaps go to sleep could be a static pleasure. The feeling of relaxation that comes after exercise could be another static pleasure. And we could go on and on and on. Even the enjoyment that we take in not having anything to do, not having anything on the list, having a open weekend 
where we can just take it easy could be a static pleasure. So Torquatus goes on and he says, generally the removal of pain causes pleasure to take its place. So Epicurus, as opposed to other people, said there is no middle ground between pleasure and pain in the sense of something neutral, in the sense of something that would have no positive or negative value. Instead, he said, this entire absence of pain is a pleasure and a pleasure of the highest order. He says, summum voluptatum, the greatest pleasure. So he says, a man who is conscious of his condition at all must necessarily feel either pleasure or pain. But this complete absence of pain, Epicurus says, is the limit and the highest point of pleasure. Beyond this point, pleasure may vary to some degree in kind. You can have different kinds of pleasures, right? But it won't vary in intensity and degree. So really the Epicurean life is going to be more oriented by this greater pleasure that comes from removals of pains and all the other sorts of things that fall under the rubric of pain, like being worried about what's going to happen when you die or whether the gods are going to strike you down or any of those sorts of things. He also tells us an interesting thought experiment. He sets this out for us that shows that we do in fact require both kinds of pleasures if we want to have the best life as Epicurean. So he suggests that you, you think about a person living in the continuous enjoyment of numerous and vivid pleasures of body and of mind undisturbed. So here's the important part about static pleasures undisturbed by the presence or the prospect of pain. So there's no pain right there and there's no pain likely to come in the future. What possible state of existence could we describe as being more excellent or more desirable? He says, a person in this case must possess in the first place a strength of mind that is proof against all fear of death or pain. He will know death means complete unconsciousness. Pain is generally light if long, short if strong, so that its intensity is compensated by brief duration and it's continuous by diminishing severity. This man will have no worries about any supernatural power. He will never suffer the pleasures of the past to fade away, but will remember them and won't feel regret about them. And his lot will be one which will not admit of further improvement. For the Epicureans, this is what the best life would look like. It would include both types of pleasures, but a lot of that would stem from the complete removal of any pains or fears. He goes on with the thought experiment to say, let's imagine another person who he says is crushed beneath the heaviest load of mental and bodily anguish. Grant him no hope of immediate relief in view. Give him no pleasure, either present or in prospect. Can you imagine a more pitiable state? If a life full of pain is the thing the most to be avoided, then a life that is free of that pain would be the best. And so this is how Torquatus portrays the Epicurean position quite faithfully, as, as we can tell. And the real stress is going to lie on these pleasures that are really about removing or preventing pain. So this is a reply to anyone who would say, oh, you Epicureans are just pleasure seekers. You're always pursuing pleasures. The Epicureans could say, no, we stop pursuing we free ourselves, and then we enjoy the higher pleasures. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. 
You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.